Welcome to the JD Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with JD Power, and with me today are Mike Taylor, who is our travel practice. Welcome, Mike. Hello. And Jenny Corwin, who's our lead analyst for travel. Welcome, Jenny. Hello. And we have a new guest today, uh, Andrea Stokes, who's joined JD Power as our new practice leader for hospitality. So, Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Mike, uh, this week, I think we want to kick it off again with airlines. And uh, there's an interesting story uh, about United Airlines uh, changing their policy on the expiration of frequent flyer miles uh, and that they're no longer going to uh, expire. Uh, so is this, um, you know, number one, I think, what is behind uh, that decision? And then number two, how is that going to, to impact the, uh, the traveler? Well, what we found in our airline loyalty studies and in our airline study at J.D. Power is that in many cases, the general member, the person who kind of joined at a low and is at a low level of status or membership uh, benefits in loyalty programs with the airlines is less satisfied than someone who's not a member at all of any airline loyalty program. You expect the reverse to be true. And what's happening there is that people join a club and they don't think they're getting very much for it. So this is a move on the airlines to, you know, give a little bit more room to that person who doesn't have a lot of status, give them, you know, a feeling that they're, you know, they've got some options that they can retain their miles uh, and, you know, if they're not building them up like a road warrior, they'll actually be able to use them eventually rather than see them expire after, say, 18 months or so as some of the airlines do. So one of the other things that is kind of a corollary to this is that we see in the airline loyalty study that we do is that the members who use the program more often to redeem low-level rewards are much happier than those people who are saving for a big trip somewhere to Hawaii or Europe or, or Asia or someplace. And that has a little bit of a, you know, a corollary to that is that the person who's, you know, redeeming more often, you know, for these small rewards gets to understand the program and how it works, how they can earn points and redeem points. And that, that in turn makes them more satisfied with the program. You know, the airline and all, in fact, all the travel uh, industry, whether it's hotel uh, loyalty or airline loyalty, uh, we see that, uh, you know, the, the people who are adopting the loyalty program more of a lifestyle rather than a travel tend to be a lot more satisfied with the loyalty program. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, and I think just turning the conversation to, to hospitality, I think we're seeing something similar here uh, on the reward side. Uh, a recent story about uh, IHG um, testing a new uh, program called Pay With Points. And the idea here is that you can redeem your points uh, for everything from a cheeseburger to a Swedish massage. So, Andrea, what's, what's kind of behind this uh, this test, and and what's the uh, the likely uh, impact going to be on the guest? Sure. Well, I think IHG has approached this in a very uh, innovative way, um, using the the TV uh, as the gateway for the guest to redeem points at the property, but it. The, the idea behind um, being able to redeem points for smaller rewards um, very much dovetails what Mike was referring to in regard to the airlines. The, the large hotel chains with very big loyalty programs uh, have known for a while that 
younger travelers uh, who uh, don't travel a lot. Um, they they don't have a lot of money, um, but in order to get them to join programs, they needed to have uh, ways for them to redeem for smaller rewards um, because, again, they just don't travel enough to be able to save so many points for a free night. Uh, very similar to what Mike was saying about saving up for a free flight. So um, it, this is a very, very um, good way for younger travelers to redeem their points for small rewards, such as a cup of coffee or a cheeseburger, as you mentioned, and that's um, really what is behind IHG and the other large chains uh, going this, this direction. I think what IHG is doing is using technology to make this easier than ever. Um, it's very, very difficult to implement in a large hotel chain where, uh, you know, your dining, uh, your bill in the restaurant for dining would be, um, you would be able to pay with points for your restaurant bill in the hotel uh, because of all the systems that are involved um, at the property. So this is a way that they're sort of consolidating uh, the back-end system uh, to the guest, it's it's the TV, but really behind the scenes, it's it's one consolidated system for uh, the hotel chains to kind of keep track of points and keep track of who's redeeming points, and um, and then also offering up different options for the guest uh, right on site um, in real time for for the guest to redeem points. So it's a it's a very creative way to approach it. Yeah, thanks, Andrea, and then, and then Jenny just kind. Of tying this back to the J.D. Power research, helping uh, travelers and guests find new ways to spend points. We, we, we think that's a smart strategy, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so one of the things we found when we've done both the airline and hotel loyalty program studies is engagement drives satisfaction. Um, so, so to drive engagement by um, offering ways to interact with your, with your loyalty program um, through redemption, particularly, so to get small rewards at more frequent intervals um, is a really big win in terms of driving satisfaction with the program, which generally um, drives overall intent to, to remain and active with the program and return to the brand. So uh, the more ways that hotels and airlines can find uh, for to get consumers interacting with the program more frequently, uh, in the long run, it's going to be better. Okay, thanks, Jenny. Uh, Mike, turning the conversation to airports, a uh, recent story about uh, some testing that the TSA is doing at the Las Vegas airport. I think in particular they were profiling a test of a new type of body scanner. But um, what, what's the um, – uh, how, how do we tie this back to um, satisfaction of the traveler through the airports and, and kind of the pace of innovation at the, at the TSA? Is this – are, are travelers happy with the pace of innovation, or would they like to see more? I think they'd like to see more, just as a general observation on the data. You know, in the in the upcoming release, which releases next week, just a slight preview here, is we're going to see TSA scores holding their own, despite the fact that there's just an onslaught of passengers accessing the airports, um, and uh, access scores as a result have suffered. Um, and usually when the access scores go down, we see a couple of things happen. We see the, the satisfaction with TSA go up because people are anxious because 10 minutes when you're late seems like 30 minutes 
and uh, and when you're on time, it seems like ten minutes. Um, so, but the pace of innovation, you know, anytime we see any kind of innovation introduced in TSA at any particular airport, we do see satisfaction going up, mostly because it's a signal that the airport is trying. There's a whole bunch of new services. We've talked in the past about Clear, you know, which is a concierge service that helps identify passengers just before they get to the main TSA process. Um, and for frequent flyers and also folks who are willing to spend the money, you know, that does save some time. I'm, you know, full disclosure, I'm a member of Clear as well, and I think it's a good program. Uh, I don't know how scalable it is because as we add more people, you know, it, they're really getting escorted one-on-one on, one on one with a uh, concierge from Clear taking you through up to the TSA checkpoint. Um, so, but to get back to the main point, is that, you know, eventually we're going to see technology actually catch up. The TSA, and in particular the FAA, has been extraordinarily slow, you know, as a bureaucracy um, in introducing technology and taking an awful long time to test technologies. And if I remember the article correctly, you know, the, the actual process takes a little bit longer than the current process, even though the technology probably is going to be adapted and be faster because it's less restrictive. You're You're kind of walking up to a more open space. So it's like an open MRI versus an enclosed MRI. Uh, and you can probably put a little bit more passenger throughput. And that's just being tested. So it's a little bit in the beta stage. But eventually, we're going to get around to the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie uh, type t uh, TSA screening, which is you're just going to walk past a checkpoint, not even slowing down. And if uh, you know the algorithms detect that you've got something or they identify you as someone uh, of interest, uh, then you'll be stopped. Otherwise, you, you'll you go right through. And eventually, we're going to get to that. When that happens, I don't know, but it'll be a glorious day when it does. <laughs> it will be. Uh, so, so, Mike, moving to rental car, a uh, story recently uh, about a startup company called Kite. Uh, that's about K-Y-T-E. And essentially, they want to bring the rental car to you. Uh, the way this works is there's a contract worker who they call a surfer uh, who will drop the rental car off at your location and then it's up to that person to figure out how to uh, get home or wherever they're off to next. So they can take a bus, walk, or pack their scooter in the trunk and just ride away. Uh, so the idea here is that you um, wouldn't have to stand in line at the rental car agency uh, or if you're using some other type of service where you have to go to a, a, a specific spot or, or a parking lot, you wouldn't have to do that either. Uh, the rental car comes to you. So um, do we see this um, as um, something that would potentially take off in the industry uh, for, for rental cars and and um, is, is, is this what I think uh, I guess one question would be is was this would this line up with expectations for um, rental car uh, users well what we see in the what we see happening in the rental car industry uh, you know where innovation is really being pushed you know by competition. And rental car companies, all of them that we interact with, do have the, sa the same philosophy, which is we're in the transportation business. You know, they, they're trying to avoid the marketing myopia of the past that, you know, we have a big lot of cars, you walk up to a counter, and you get handed a key, and then you drive off the lot after showing your ID to someone at a gate. Um, so they're trying to get away from that traditional model and appeal to what millennials want, because they are going to be, you know, the customer of the future. And millennials want very bespoke experiences where there's a lot of service, you know, where they don't have to expend a lot of energy. That's kind of the, the way they look at things. You know, you can see that happening all across the spectrum. 
from, you know, not going to a mall anymore, you know, getting your phone out and ordering something off of Amazon. And in some cities, it gets delivered that very same day. And the same thing with food deliveries. Uh, Peapod out in, uh, in, with Stop and Shop out here on the East Coast, you know, has trucks all over the place. You don't even go to the grocery store anymore. You just kind of tap things into a phone and it comes to you. And so this kind of model is being replicated in the uh, rental car and, you know, the transportation point A to point B business because they all see that there's just been a tremendous disruption that's happened as a result of the TNCs, the transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft. And they are trying to appeal to that key demographic uh, because in our study, the J.D. Power study, we see that the millennials are willing to, to buy a higher grade of car to get a better experience because they don't have a car payment, for, you know, by and large. So they're willing to splurge, and that high-margin rental is what everybody, of course, is going for. You know, the econo box probably pays the bills, but the profitability is going to be made at you know the, with the Ford Mustang convertible, uh, and that's what millennials are going for. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, just to finish the podcast today, let's turn the the topic to OTAs. And Jenny, uh, recent story in the Los Angeles Times about uh, Booking.com. Uh, beginning to collect commissions on hotel resort fees in Europe, and it looks like uh, they're going to roll that policy out to the U.S. Um, starting in uh, January. Uh, so, so Booking does concede that by charging commission on uh, resort fees, that will generate extra revenue for them. Uh, but they're contending that they're doing this primarily to push hotels and other lodging pro- providers to be more transparent about the total cost that they charge uh, customers. So, so, so which is it? Is, is this uh, booking uh, just trying to charge more commission, or, or they really are uh, advocates for the consumer and trying to push the industry to be uh, more transparent? That one's tough. I can't, I, and I don't know that we'll be able to say that their intentions are entirely altruistic. As much as I would love to wear my rose-colored glasses and think that they're really just standing up for us little guys, I think. Uh, the hotel resort fee is are a three billion dollar industry in the u s so um, to say that the OTAs have been missing out on this chunk of uh, commissions for for quite some time now um, i I do think you know there's definitely some monetary incentive to do this of course now Expedia is taking a different approach currently they are just um, changing their algorithm to where uh, Properties that have resort fees are just showing up lower on the search list, so that way what they say is they're making it so uh, that hotel consumers, guests, can compare like to like more more easily. Um, So, I mean, these are two different approaches. I think either way, when you really look at it, uh, um, the OTAs have a symbiotic relationship with hotels where they they do charge a commission, and they're missing out on a chunk of that commission. So they are looking... Uh, for for ways to to make sure this is this fair and transparent and uh, it, for consumers right now it's it's probably you know we're on the same side at least so uh, so it, it does look like we're in alignment there and, and it could end up being good in terms of uh, guest satisfaction because we know that uh, transparency is, is very important in in value and driving a guest experience. Um, and likelihood to return and, you know, having a commitment to a brand, you really want to feel like this brand takes care of you and cares for you. So for booking and Expedia right now, um, you know, they're looking pretty good in the eyes of the consumer, I think. Okay, thanks, Jenny. Uh, and, and Andrea, I, I suppose um, 
you would concur that that more transparency is better from a consumer's point of view, especially when it comes to these extra fees? That's definitely true. Um, and I think, you know, the hotel chains from their direct booking perspective, their apps and their websites, um, some hotel chains are doing better than others in terms of disclosing those fees uh, up front, um, maybe earlier on in the reservation process, rather than, you know, some companies will wait until the very, almost the very end of the reservation process. But it is, um, it is a very, very tricky um topic to navigate with resort fees, you know, often consumers can actually, uh, you know, not uh, pay the resort fee on the property. They can uh, push back. Um, perhaps if the swimming pool was closed uh, at, at the resort where they're staying, well, they shouldn't be charged a fee for using the swimming pool. And often resort fees do include these types of amenities. So um, it, it will be very interesting to see how this uh, this shakes out. Okay, thanks, Andrea. So, so Mike, Jenny, and Andrea, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for our listeners for joining as well. Uh, to learn more about the JD Power travel practice, please visit us on the web at jdpower.com/business, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>